He was the satellite consultant for NASA, business director for McLaren, race performance engineer for Ferrari and Red Bull, and is now in process of creating world's first electric powerboat series. I'm in conversation with Rodi Basso, co-founder of E1 Series. Welcome to the Pondspot Show. Hi, Rodi. Thank you for joining me for the show. How are you? Hi. Thank you for inviting me. I'm uh, all good. How are you? Very well. And uh, how are things in, in terms of COVID uh, in Italy or are you based in the UK right now? Yeah, I'm uh, Italian, but I'm based in London, in UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, the situation is uh, maybe improving in terms of number of positives per day, but still the number of uh, uh, deaths is, is quite high. Mm-hmm. So we hope that uh, in a couple of weeks, the situation should improve. Mm. And I guess this is this is probably the time for a lot of entrepreneurs to like work on the ideas and also work on what they want to do in the coming years. And it, was it was it the COVID time that got you interested for E1 series and then you started up with your own venture? Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, as always, when you have to be uh, creative, if you really want to do something completely new in your life, uh, you need to get out from, uh, let's say, the op- operative uh, frequency. You know, mm-hmm. you need to get out from the tasks, from uh, the quarters uh, revenue target, uh, and all these sort of things. And so, actually, I uh, have started somehow uh, this journey before uh, the the COVID phase, because when I left McLaren, uh, I uh, uh, on purpose I, I wanted to. Uh, challenge myself and see what I could do uh, in terms of new journey for me, building a new brand, a new idea, possibly with a, a strong impact for the world. Um, of course, the COVID uh, allowed me to have even more time, thinking time and quality time. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, more than thinking is a lot about feeling really what I, what I was passionate about and what I wanted to achieve. Uh, and then now we are in the thinking phase where we are actually working on engineering the, the, the powerboat and the building of the championship. So, mm. yeah, COVID was absolutely, in this case, one uh, um, enabler mm. of uh, the new vision. Right. And I'll, uh, I'll be talking about this venture in, this, in the coming questions. And you made an interesting point where you said that in times, you, you, it's more important to see what, to understand the vision that you have. And you've made some career changes as well. And I want to start off by talking about the early days at NASA. Uh, you worked in NASA and tell us how did you get the job and what were the projects that you were working in? Because it's probably one of the most coolest companies in the world for us. <laughs> uh, right. So I was at university and I was uh, um, in the uh, aerospace engineering uh, master degrees in, at the University of Naples. Uh, that is actually a very strong uh, university for uh, aerospace. Mm-hmm. Um, there are incredible companies uh, in all the area. And, uh, and I mean, the turnover just for aerospace is uh, significant. And uh, I was uh, um, performing and planning this uh, thesis work with a, a, an, a very uh, strong professor, a very valuable and with a very high reputation. And uh, he proposed me to either go to MIT or, or NASA for uh, performing the thesis work, 
So I've been doing six months in Naples and six months in USA. Mm. So I accepted and I went for it. I went to NASA uh, at the Goddard Center. And um, the actual thesis was about uh, uh, data intelligence on board of microsatellites. So it was a moment where, um, you know, there was a lot of attention from the engineering and, and scientists to fill up the gaps of the rocket, of the launcher, mm-hmm. okay, uh, and uh, design small satellites, but capable to do very fast uh, scientific mission. Mm-hmm. And so to reduce the size of the, of the satellite, first of all, one of the things that you need to optimize is the power that you need on board. And so by introducing data intelligence through a new just declassified technology from military applications, there was the chance to filter the images you were not interested about and mm-hmm. so send to the ground station, broadcast to the ground station, only the images, you, the, commu- the scientific community and actually the one who were paying for, uh, uh, for the mission, uh, w- they were more interested about. And so uh, that's what the thesis was about. And when I uh, got the degree, uh, na- uh, my boss at NASA uh, invited me, uh, offered me a contract to keep working on this project. And so that's what I was uh, doing uh, till, uh, I would say, mid-2020. Mm. Okay. And was that the time when you were working on the, this is, is, this is the project which was Lance at seven, right? Well, so what we were doing is, uh, Lansan said that at that moment it was the most important health observation mission. Mm. And Lansan said it is actually a, a satellite. So uh, what I was doing is I was uh, studying and uh, using the, some of the algorithm used for the Landsat 7, but on the ground station and translate these algorithms into a onboard application thanks to this new technology. Mm-hmm. So that's where the Landsat 7 comes in. Right. And you've said that the time when you, when you started working in NASA, and this is often a time asked by people of my age who are studying in colleges, we are generally never, a lot of us don't have a focus where it's like that we, once the college is over, we're going to get this job. Oftentimes life doesn't turn out that way. So for you, when you were studying, were you always focused towards technology or were there other places that we were always interested in? Um, So uh, while I was studying, I have to say, uh, I decided to pursue the studies of aerospace engineering because I believe that through those studies, you could definitely uh, have an impact in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the aerospace engineering uh, is uh, very much the crucible of mechanical engineer, of electronics, and aer- aeronautics. So everything related to fluid dynamics, aerodynamics, and all these sort of things. So I found it incredibly interesting to have uh, the opportunity to study uh, the systems more than a very vertical uh, application, because this allowed me you know, when you are 18, I, I mean, I will be very surprised if someone 18 years old is, uh, already knows what he wants to do when he grows up exactly. and what exact experience. So you need to try to get a, uh, a degree which offers you a system view. Uh, and uh, again, the, 
the most uh, modern technologies in order to be able to make decision about your future afterwards. So uh, I have to say uh, my life really, uh, so I gave some direction, but my life really happened, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So by, the only thing that actually in the direction that I have given is uh, A, I was interested in technology for a, to create an impact in the world. And uh, um, and B, I, uh, as, I mean, I, I'm a very ambitious person, always been. And uh, I said, okay, let's try. Why not? Let's try to go to NASA. Let's try to go to, go to Ferrari. And then when you target such a high target, uh, I was, I mean, in my, I mean, I'm a very humble person, I have to say. So when I approach this, I don't go there with a, an arrogance. But of yeah. course, I say, okay, let me understand how I can get to this point. But even if you don't get to that point, I mean, you're talking about NASA and Ferrari. So even if you go a step lower, it's fine anyway. I mean, you are in, in, a, in a right level in terms of experience, in terms of building your competence, your uh, social experience, uh, understanding the politics of a company, how a company works and all these sort of things. So mm. this was the approach. The beauty and the luck, even if I don't believe in luck, but the, 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 the beauty is when you start thinking and targeting how can I get there, then it, it, it happens. Mm. It happens. So that's what, what, what the story is about. Absolutely. I can agree to that. And um, on this topic where you said the move to Ferrari, how was the transition like from moving from space exploration to Ferrari? Was, was mm. there something to do with the Italian genes? You, you got interested for, for, for yeah. Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, of course, Ferrari is an incredible brand, is uh, one of the most important in the world. And when you are an engineer, Italian engineer, you always see Ferrari as uh, the Epitome. top of the places to become a, um, to become a, very, a good engineer, to build mm -hmm. experience about everything. So, I have to say, when I joined Ferrari, I specifically wanted to, to go to the race team because I, I also, I love sports. So uh, today, I can say that in the last 21 years of career, I've always been working between sports and technology, uh, sport and technology business. Mm. So I like the entrepreneurial approach. I like the sports and I love technology. So uh, I try to always combine these three points in every decision for the next step. So um, again, I, I agree with you. There was for sure some uh, Italian gene that drove me to the place and it wasn't such a shock moving from aerospace to uh, the race engineering in the test team in Ferrari because I have to say I had to fill some gaps in terms of uh, vehicle dynamics because I never studied that, at that point vehicle dynamics mm -hmm. uh, so all everything that is related to tire performance drivability of the car but at, at that point you are in Ferrari so you have incredible opportunities to speed up the learning curve uh, in this in this area, in the meantime, aerospace is a lot about electronics and aerodynamics, yeah. and this is these are very important, especially when I was race engineer. These were the most important part for the car performance, mm -hmm. uh, especially the electronics, <laughs> I would say, and of course aerodynamics as always. And um, and so in that area, actually, I was much more comfortable for, compared to people that were coming from different areas. Mm. Uh, tell me about the day or the first first day at the job when you went to Ferrari, one of the greatest teams. It's 
tell me about that experience. What, what was that like? Well, the first day I remember is uh, during the interview when I went to Fiorano, there is the, the circuit, the home circuit, mm-hmm. yeah, there in Maranello, their uh, private circuit. And uh, wh- while I was walking towards my interviewer, uh, there was the car with Michael Schumacher driving around Fiorano. And so the thrill of li- uh, listening to the engine and uh, looking at this uh, red uh, arrow <laughs> flying around in, uh, in, in Fiorano was something that, you know, it motivated me straight away. And I told myself, Roddy, you better get this job because uh, that's, that's something unique, really. And, um, and then when I started, um, I remember it was August 2020. Uh, and uh, basically, I was looking around, understanding the people I had to deal with. And uh, I started studying and trying to fill the competence gap that I had. Um, and, you know, slowly but firmly, I was trying to build my career as a race engineer within a, a Formula One team. And uh, yeah, so that's what, what happened. Right. And uh, wh- when you're talking about Ferrari and the legacy that the team has today as well, uh, I mean, everyone knows the, the red car, even if a person doesn't watch, for, uh, watch Formula One or, or, uh, or, or doesn't follow that sport. And from that, you moved to Red Bull. And I guess Red Bull was a team that was in process of becoming the champion. So tell us how the transition was like at that point of time when you moved from one company to the other? Well, transition was pretty shocking, but that's what I was looking for because I was coming from a team where everything was working fine. Everything mm. was like a, a Swiss watch in terms of operation, excellence, quality, team, uh, you know, knowing each other and uh, having automatic way of working to a team that was uh, just uh, born mm. because they... Uh, made an acquisition of uh, Jaguar Formula One one year yeah, before yeah. I joined, or or a bit less than I than I joined, and then from that moment they had to build the future success by introducing the best practice coming from different teams. So I uh, I have to say I loved my time in Red Bull because there were people coming from all the teams, and so the, for me it was an incredible opportunity to understand the different design philosophy and a different way to manage the cars uh, on track. And so it was uh, great. I met, uh, I met incredible people. Um, like? Many of them are, are still friends. Well, of course, I was reporting to Adrian Newey, which was an, another incredible experience after mm-hmm. having reported to Ross Brown and anyway, dealing with Rory Byrne as uh, the leader of the car engineering and design and engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it wasn't easy because of course it is kind of frustrating to uh, go around the track and finish the races P12, P13, P14. So uh, I have to say uh, I had to find the motivation elsewhere co- compared to the results. But then when you are always in that area, and I remember in Monaco 2006 when we uh, made it to to have the first podium for Red Bull, uh, in the Red Bull history with the David Coulthard in Monaco, uh, there was an incredible feeling. I have to say comparable to the many championships won uh, in, uh, when I was in Ferrari. Mm. And when you said that there were some frustrating moments and 
it's very important to be motivated in the job. So how did you handle those moments? Was there ever a moment for you where you self-doubted the decision? Because that sometimes happened. Uh, very good question. Um, well, I have to say, uh, of course, I had some uh, very negative moments and I was mm. saying, oh my goodness, this is a bit of a stretch. Actually, I remember in the beginning, I was also in a, I, w- I rented the place and I wasn't happy about the place. It wasn't com- comfortable at all. I was driving a long, a long journey to get to work, but I was traveling for, for the races and tests. So it wasn't such an issue, but it was a bit of an issue. Then the results were not coming. Um, so, uh, I mean, it wasn't only about Red Bull, but it happened to me in Ferrari. It happened to me. I mean, let's face it. When you join a, a big organization or either a company or a corporate, uh, there are always uh, the, some moments where you Self-doubt feel a bit down and reflect. Mm-hmm. Now, with the hindsight, I have to say that I bless those moments because those moments are just a sign that you are running too much head down like a bit of a donkey towards a target that maybe doesn't really belong to you. And so it's a, some, something that you need to appreciate and, um, and uh, experience uh, to have some checkpoint in your journey and say, am I in the right direction or am I following someone else's dream? You know, mm-hmm. these kind of things. So I have no problem in saying that, yes, there were some very tough moments. And the way you come out of it is uh, uh, re, uh, reviewing the direction of travel mm-hmm. uh, and finding, concentrating on the, the, what, what you were achieving, like mm-hmm. learning and meeting new people. So thinking about this side um, uh, and uh, review the strategy of your life in case these first two points are not enough or are not uh, ideal for you. Right. And you, you're, you're again bringing up a really interesting point where sometimes working in any corporation, the target that's given to you, it's not your personal target. And while talking about mm. setting a personal target for yourself, uh, your transition towards uh, electric racing and looking at, let's say, motorsport racing from a totally different perspective. How did that moment or that idea spark for you? In, in saying that I can make a difference and I should change it. How was, how was the personal goal set for you when you started up with E1 Series? Um, so, uh, first of all, everything started exactly from this point. You know, I was in a moment where I said, you know what, I'm going to have one year sabbatical and just... Uh, you know, reflect. unplug completely, reflect, actually not even reflect too much, but watching around, walking around, listening to people, uh, see what's happening. Because, you know, when you are working on a target mm. and the target is winning a Formula One race or achieving business results for important companies, you are a lot right in this position. So sometimes you need to find a moment to and go back up. to this position and look up and uh, and with a, a broader um field of sight and so uh, I have to say things happened there wasn't such a a rational uh, thinking or strategy so honestly I started by my passion for sailing and the sea in general and the water okay so I always loved it and I, I, I said also in some other interview 
that the best, one of the best moments you can experience when you are in holiday on a sailing boat is when you are out of the port and you switch off the, 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 the engine and you go completely natural, silent, and you are, that's the, the biggest or maybe the closest you can get to immersive experience with nature and the world. I mean, it's just amazing. Only people who love sailing can understand this. But honestly, <laughs> it happens to me also when I go riding. It's the same kind of thing, you know, the, the contact with the, something the, that is the not voice, human the, being. The sound, yeah. The, the sound, absolutely. The sound. the sound for me is very important. It will be also in the way we will broadcast and we will plan the, the, the TV production and the, the channels. The sound mm. will be one of the protagonists of, of our show. So I started from this passion and then, you know, I live, I'm, luckily enough, I live very close by, again, I, luck doesn't exist. Every time I say luckily, in reality, I, I know that doesn't exist, okay? Because <laughs> you can be consciously um, working toward luck. So I live close to Alejandro Agag. Uh, we were texting each other and at a certain point I say, why don't we go for some uh, running or walking uh, close to the river here in London? And so we started doing it. And we went, uh, we were just brainstorming about all the possible topics, you know, everything. At a certain point, he came to me and he said, listen, I have invested in a startup, which I think is very promising. It's called Seabird Technologies. Mm. And they want to, uh, again, make an impact and change through the business model innovation the way people use the leisure powerboat. So with a sort of, uh, you know, like today you can do with scooters. So sharing mm. up, you see if there is a boat, off you go and, and then back. And he was asking me, um, since I, in the meantime, I started a consulting company focused on technology scouting and business strategy, and execution so right. he was asking me do you know of anyone for the carbon side because we want to do something special here we need the best expertise and uh, so i started thinking about this in the meantime i connected my passion for the sea the water and the sailing with this idea and, and uh, uh, i was thinking since maybe a year or something but you know just in my spare time what if we move the electrification into ra into race power boats because I know for a fact the marine industry is behind in terms of electrification process. We come from motorsport. If we take the naval engineering expertise mm -hmm. and the motorsport understanding and experience of electrification, by putting these two things together, and this is what we are doing these days, we can showcase that you can go around the water um, and have fun with an electric vessel, in this case, and uh, you can then help the electrification process, build a new sport and a new show, and everything comes up and goes for the positive. And I have to say the response has been amazing because this was May 2020. In September 20, so only after four months, uh, the uh, International Federation of Motonautic uh, entitled us with... Uh, 25 years exclusive ex uh, license mm -hmm. for all full electric power boats uh, for the right. next 25 years, as I said. So right. there was the first huge achievement because when we pitched to them the vision, they were completely uh, Blown really, away. Uh, on the moon. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so this is where everything started. So we launched the championship in Monaco end of, of September. 
And again, there is a lot of attention. We are contacted by many people, many potential stakeholders, teams, sponsors, developers. Um, and for me, this is a sign that there is something. For me, that's impact. Mm, right. And I also saw the design on the Instagram page. And it's just, it's just beautiful and at the same time so innovative that is done for the E1 series. And while on this topic, I want to ask how would the races be organized? Would it be something similar to Formula One where um, you'll be, you'll be make, organizing the races all around the world? How would the hospitality and the organization part look like for E1 series? So we are targeting 10 races. Five will be in the classic hosting ports like uh, Monaco, like Barcelona, mm -hmm. like London, uh, maybe Zurich or Geneva. Um, we are talking with many cities. We're talking with Istanbul and, and so forth. Uh, of course, this is not only related to this part of the world, but uh, maybe in the beginning, I mean, this is, these are the people in the cities that, we, uh, are, that are approaching us. Of course, we target to be a global sport event. So we are uh, for sure, uh, going uh, uh, more to the east in terms of uh, uh, mm. trying to have races there. Then we will have another five races uh, together with Extreme E. Extreme e is a, a championship funded by uh, Alejandro Agag, uh, and he's, he's the president and the CEO of Extreme E. And uh, we will have a set of, of power boats in the Santa Elena. Santa Elena is a big ship of 105 yeah. meters that will go around the world. Uh, shipping and is the floating paddock as they call it shipping the electric suv around and there will be also our power boats and we are targeting to have races in greenland in new york miami then amazon you know, on the river and coming back on this side uh, maybe cape verde and middle east mm. so this is the journey that we will do with uh, with the santa elena uh, ship um, so that's the starting point for the first two years. But as I told you, we for sure target to be global. We uh, want to go around again, for sure, to create an incredible sport excitement. But uh, we to, get, to the sport event, there will be associated also other initiatives um, that will uh, help city to boost the local economy. Mm. And what are those initiatives that you're talking about? How would they be boosting the economy? So, um, first of all, we will try to always refer to local people in order to uh, organize the, okay, the, stuff. Um, the, the race and the staff and, and all these sort of things. The other thing is we, are, we want to, um, to be considered also uh, like a city event promoter. So we are targeting to have technology festivals that are uh, allowing local, but not only, but especially local companies or startups to showcase what they are doing around electric mobility, including cars, mm -hmm. everything that is moving, uh, about water exploring and water healing. So these are okay. the topic for the moment. Maybe we'll expand this, but this is the starting point. And so we think of this uh, race event that is happening very exciting, very fast as an experience. And then between a race or a session and another, people will have the chance to go on the, on the shore, walk uh, along, along the shore and uh, experience uh, the technology festival okay. and some other initiatives, which could be concerts uh, mm -hmm. or other stuff. Mm -hmm. So again, for the city, an opportunity for sponsorship, 
for uh, ticketing, uh, for uh, you know all uh, the drinks and food that you can sell by bringing uh, maybe hundred thousand people or more, uh, which is something we have happened. And on top of this, we are not dis disrupting the local traffic and the local exactly. organization of the car. So it will be very close to the shore and the sea, because of course the power will be raised on the sea, but this won't uh, affect um, the day-to-day -day life. Uh, okay. yeah, the day-to-day -day life, exactly. Right. And the weekend, I'm, I'm referring to again and again Formula One, because is the weekend going to be similar to what Formula One is, where it's Friday the practice, Saturday qualifying at the race? Would that be similar of how the E1 series would be organized? So at present, we are thinking to have two uh, days uh, race weekend. There will be a shakedown and two free practice in, on Friday, and then qualifying and race on, on uh, Saturday. Okay. Okay. And um, the races will be a bit like tennis with a knockout kind of uh, um, scheme. And uh, the, the first four power boats in, in qualifying, in the classification of qualifying, will decide who to race against in the, in the quarterfinals. And then all the rest will be with a knockout kind mm. of, uh, of scheme. Um, so the, 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 the race, uh, let's say the race layout will be very close, as close as possible to the, to the shore, to the coast. And, uh, um, and there will be a lot of maneuverability. So it won't be like those races where people go straight, mm. just burning fuel and showing, uh, uh, I mean, you know, in, in, my, in my hometown, we say everyone is a sailor on straight. You know, that's easy. <laughs> uh, we want to test the um, skills and uh, the endeavor of, of, of the pilots uh, by, you know, increasing as much as possible the close racing and the maneuverabilities, the change of direction and so forth. So basically, uh, in the waters, there'd be a track, a sort of a track that would be designed for for. for... How do you say, would you say the, the racers, would you say the, the pilots, what, what would they be called? The people who are driving the boat? pilots, the pilots. Okay. So they we would want to call it pilots. Yeah. So, so there'd be like a, like an entire track that would be built for them in the waters. Is that what you're saying yeah. through the maneuvers? Yes. Correct. Mm, okay. It sounds, it sounds really, I, I'd love to see, and I'd love to come down for some, for, for, for the series that would be starting. And, uh, Tell us about the big picture as well. I mean, when you are doing, when you're looking at this from a sustainable standpoint, how do you want, or what's the main key message that you'd like the audience to take away from it? Well, first of all, and actually this is also one of the inspiring points when uh, I started brainstorming with Alejandro about this uh, E1 series. Um, when uh, people talk about pollution and sustainability, they always, uh, show some image of, of the water uh, with plastic, with the oil on the water uh, and uh, all the effects of uh, a lack of uh, sustainability strategy. And again, the effects are all in the water, which mm. is one of the most important elements for uh, our uh, uh, surviving in this planet. But, you know, only recently people started thinking about, okay, how we react to this. What do we do for the water mobility, for the commercial vessel, 
for the big transports and all these sort of things. So uh, again, that's where I started thinking that we had to contribute to the acceleration of the electrification process of the marine industry because it's uh, not a choice, but it's a race to so literally to save it. the planet, to save the oceans um, and do something about it. Of course, especially in the beginning, we will not be perfect. There will be something that we, uh, will be improvable by a sustainable standpoint. But at, at least, you know, it's better than uh, sitting on a sofa. But we, we, we like to think of ourselves as someone that is uh, actually standing up and try to do something and to deliver this important message to the audience. So right. this is what the spirit is and this is what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And when you're looking at the big picture, uh, how do you see the main the challenges that are that will be imposed in front of you. Uh, and I'm asking that in terms of like uh, getting the masses for the races, the marketing plan, the structures. What are those form of challenges that are currently in front of E1 series? Um, well, I have to say the marketing, I'm not worried at, uh, a lot. Actually, I'm not worried at all because my business partner is called Alejandro Agag, and he's an incredible person um, with a very strong credibility, especially in this field. So mm-hmm. I am sure that together with the team that together we are building uh, around the E1 series, uh, marketing-wise, we will make a lot of noise and the reach will be, uh, will be very strong. Um, the challenges are... Uh, of course, we are trying something new. You have seen the power boat, mm. something that nobody has done before. So we Great. went to the Federation and we asked for the safety rules. There are none. So we will have to write together with the Federation mm. all the safety rules. We are talking about a, a power boat based on foil architecture. Nobody believes in it. And nobody has ever used foil architecture for a race power boat. So mm. again, we will have to uh, kill a few paradigms but honestly of course these are i see this as challenges but in the meantime i know i drove to these challenges you know it was That's myself it. and alejandro who decided to embrace these challenges and try to show that you can uh, enjoy the water mobility or enjoy a sport event uh, with a better impact and by again uh, improving but i have a, a few ideas coming from the technology world I have a, a list of innovation points that I want to test, which are going to make, a, again, a lot of noise in the market. Mm, that's, that's, that's some, again, it's just building up to the excitement and I really can't wait how and when the series would start. And uh, now finally coming down to the, some of the last few questions. And most of the time, some questions are a bit philosophical. And I think that's the point And that's the really, uh, the answers that I, the, that, that tends to motivate me in doing, in doing better as well. And um, I want to ask you from the perspective when you're working in NASA, on what impact or what perspective change did it provide you in life? Because if you're looking at universe, it's a, it's a whole, be- it, 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 it just shows that how small we are and how big the universe is. So do you, when you look at problems, when you look at challenges in life, do you, do you look back to the NASA days or is there any perspective that, was, that has greatly uh, impacted your, your thinking towards businesses as well when you look at those NASA days? Well, it, I, yes, the answer is yes, but not, not only NASA. But since you want to know specifically about NASA, I have to say that 
in that area, I learned uh, that you can work and enjoy it. So mm. work doesn't have to be like a, uh, like a painful process, but you, you have the duty and right, especially in the leadership team, to design a good place to work and, uh, and, uh, and enjoy, which doesn't mean that you, you will not struggle or you will not have to put effort, but you can create the right atmosphere. And actually, I've seen it also in Ferrari, where it was very tough to work and tougher than NASA, but Jean Todd was incredibly good in creating a family feeling uh, by allowing and having some derogation on, uh, on uh, you know, gather up and letting people go out for a, for a good dinner together and, and really build the team. That's where you build the team. So from NASA, I learned. When I never, I will never forget when I um, when I met the director of NASA Goddard. So someone mm. uh, was an Indian gentleman. Uh, he went there when he, 20 years before I was there. So uh, he was working on something similar in terms of topic as I was doing. And I saw a very open person, very humble, and uh, um, you know, with a very nice smile in the face. And I was just a student from Italy, a bit lost in USA, but he was very welcoming and everything. And uh, I mean, for me, there was an incredible uh, lesson in terms of person, as well as my direct uh, um, leader, let's say, the person mm -hmm. I was reporting to, a French lady, uh, very prepared, but, uh, you know, um, I mean, she welcomed me uh, in a very good way and um, she taught me a lot. She taught me, she guided me with the right level of pressure uh, and she was very helpful. On the broader sense, I mean, when you work on in aerospace and you you know concentrate on the, where we are, and uh, you discover that we are uh, really a very small, small stone in universe in a universe. And if you look at those pictures about our galaxy and all the galaxies that are around, it gives you a completely different perspective and dimension to your problems. And um, you realize that the, 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 everything keeps going, even if uh, you have issues with taxes, with uh, with your mother-in-law, or with, uh, um, I don't know, because you got a speed ticket, and you kill yourself. In, and then you, if you stop and say, hang on a second, remember that I am on a planet that is spinning around, is going around the sun, is in a galaxy that is moving at six kilometers per second towards God knows what, where, and you think about the speed ticket. Okay, so maybe you can uh, review <laughs> this, that. you know. So uh, I have to say uh, sp space exploration is something that gives you a completely different dimension. And for me, is it's the equivalent of uh, thinking of death for the Stoic philosophy. You mentioned philosophy. So you know that the Stoicism were suggesting people when you have this speed ticket and problems with the mother's law, think about that you're gonna you're gonna die, mm. which it looks like a bad thing to say to someone, but in reality, it gives you another perspective. Say, okay, that's right. Let me let me go back and maybe enjoy and review. I mean, it doesn't mean ignore, but you can review the approach, okay, and the behavior. So space can do this without having to think about death. So I found it more convenient, and I have to say, my next step is. The waters, the oceans, we know very little about the water and the ocean. Uh, I read uh, that we know only 100,000 species underwater, 
and there is an estimate that says that we may that there could be one million species. So we know maybe if you stretch it to uh, so if you extrapolate to the rest, we know ten percent of our ocean, and we are looking for water in Mars. Let's mm. I mean, maybe Think give so. <laughs> some focus on our little blue planet, uh, and it's called blue, not by by chance. Exactly. And uh, you know maybe there could be something. Exactly. And in some uh, in your career, uh, there's a for me when when I was preparing these questions, there was a really interesting point that I saw, and that was the importance of change, the importance and the power of change. Where the one year that you spoke about, where you can just think about the ideas, make changes, set personal goals. How would you see, or how would you say that how important it is for every individual to have that moment? reflect on what they have to do and understand that you need to change this thing for yourself to grow. Don't be too comfortable in what you have. Well, I would say every day. Uh, if, you, if you manage to have your uh, half an hour of self-care where you stop a moment and you check, okay, I feel good. Okay, uh, how painful, how joyful the things are, how painful they are. What's the balance? What's the direction? How do you see yourself compared to, uh, you know, uh, to the, every one of us has got a role in the world. You know, we are here for some reason. And um, maybe that's the way to navigate the struggles and the challenges that you have in life, just as opportunities to understand your role in the world. Because in this way, when you challenge, when you have a girlfriend and you struggle without understanding, you say, okay, maybe I'm not that kind of person fine okay let's try to to go and look for uh, something else or maybe how to improve because there are some aspects that you don't have to run away from but you actually have to go deeper and face mm. so that's the that's the kind of spirit and, uh, and this never is get the frequency never get too comfortable with what you have is that is that also something that you think about well the risk is uh, being uh, too um ne- uh, well, actually, this is not the, re- the, the suggestion because it's too risky. Because I don't mm. want people to get, if you, there's a risk of living as a frustrated person all the time. So uh, I think, you know, life is made of opposites. So you need to every day say, okay, what, what, what do I have? I, I always tell my kids when they go to school, learn one thing per day, one thing per day. It's three hundred. You are five years old and eight. It's uh, two hundred, at least three hundred things per year. Imagine in a life how much you will you know about that. it. You know, mm-hmm. and so every day you have to check the opposite, and and because they always be that we are made of opposite signs. You know, electromagnetism is made of opposite signs, and and everything. Maybe even gravity. Um, and so you have to check the two things, and then you know, Find balance. The balance. If mm-hmm. his balance is good. Otherwise, uh, if you don't see growth and learning, that's where I start becoming a bit nervous. That's, that's very well said. And uh, now finally coming down to the last question of this podcast, uh, when you talk about growth, when you talk about learning, towards the end, I'd like to ask the three key advices from you that you'd like to give down to future entrepreneurs or even students like me on how you should and how you could work towards your passion and at the same time 
make that passion think of uh, work towards the bigger picture like what you are doing for e1 series working towards your passion that is sports and technology as well as taking a moment and looking at it from a very bigger picture okay so my uh, my answer to this is relationship and it's relationship with yourself and relationship with the others with the relationship with yourself you keep focusing on you and you keep hearing your voice to understand what your passions are you know just have to every day 10 minutes and say okay i see myself in the mountain how do i feel about it i see myself mm-hmm. in a in a production plant in arizona okay how do i feel about it i see myself i don't know options are infinite so you see yourself in different scenarios and uh, and, and see and feel so from the relationship with you, so you need to learn from your gut, from your body, what is the reaction? So this drives you actually, I mean, even uh, again, sorry, I keep mentioning my kids because I learned so much from them. You know, mm-hmm. you learn and you know everything. And then you, you, you have sometimes where maybe the school system or an university system gets you into a, you know, like a, an hamster in a wheel, you know, okay. sort of, and you have to get out from that wheel. That's the, to, to reply to the previous um, question. But anyway, first, relation to yourself to, to, drive, to address the passion and then relation with the rest of the world. The people that we meet are incredibly important because by hearing, not listening, hearing what everybody says, even if someone comes to you and offend you, okay, or say something bad to you, I mean, I mean, again, remember that the space is moving around, the, sp- the, the earth is going around the sun, the universe will keep going, this guy will come and go. So <laughs> how much can he really disrupt if I tell you something bad? But, so that's why I say you have to hear from everybody, but not listen. You have to listen to yourself. So by, by having the right people around you and by listening and reading and getting information, so even reading a newspaper for me is a relationship with the outside world because that's where you hear what, I don't know, Obama has got to say or what Gandhi said in the past or what, I don't know, um, people of different level, everyone says. And, and this is when you connect the dots. So this is where you have the opportunity to say, okay, this is my internal world and this is the external world. Okay, how can I close this how can i build this bridge how can i find so if you make it like i strongly believe i'm doing with the e1 series to get these dots aligned you don't have to check anymore i mean everything will come so naturally uh, and uh, it will be uh, an incredible journey it will be just uh, the best days of your life so this is what i would recommend actually I always tell I, the stakeholder mapping, I call it. I have a mm-hmm. file of mine with the people that I have high time, that I have big time for them, you know, the people that I estimate highly. Uh, and it, I have to say it's a very long list because I, I met incredible people and I try to keep the relationship with them, which means I don't call them to have a favor. I call, I call them to say, how are you, you know, and, and keep this relationship truth, honest, coherent. And then, you know, in this way, ideas and options comes to you. You don't have to chase anything. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, 
So I can be a witness of this. That's that's very well said. And I think with one point, I can I can agree with 100. Actually, I can agree to the entire thing 100%. But the point where you said that people will say things, but you should always keep moving on. I think that's that's really important in this content creation business, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, with that said, Rory, I'd, I'd like to thank you so much for coming down to the podcast. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, I wish you all the best for the E1 series and also hope that someday we see it in India as well. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope too. Very much so. They will right. be great. I will do my best to have an event in India. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me once again and giving me your time. Thank you. Thank you very much for your invite. And uh, I say goodbye to everyone who's listening. For more interesting episodes, please subscribe to my channel. And you could also follow me on Instagram. The handle is Arinjay Bansal. And lastly, to all the listeners, I'd like to thank you for giving me your time. And I hope to see you again for this Bonspot Show. Thank you.